0: This week there's no UFC, and I'm about to go fucking crazy. With the fight selections and the fight reflections, this is Fighting With Myself. So let's cure all our boredom, and we'll have another forum. With the fight selections and the listener questions, this is Fighting With Myself. Oh, 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 Fighting With Myself. Oh, 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 Fighting With Myself. Oh, 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 yeah. Had to give you a longer intro this week, because I've got extra energy to burn. I'm so fucking pumped that I'm not at my old job anymore, and I am about to be on a plane in 24 hours to go to Riviera Maya. Oh, so excited. So excited to be on my fucking honeymoon. You guys have no idea. So welcome. Welcome. To the Fighting with Myself podcast, the podcast for the average MMA fan, hosted by an above-average man, and I am that man. My name is Juice. We have only a few things to talk about. There is um, a few current events I want to get into, just sort of little uh, things that got announced, some kind of matchups, and um, then we get into the part about the show that really matters—the forum. So, um, without further ado, let's get into it. Um, we got some Bellator this weekend, and there's a lot of interesting fights on that card. Um, I don't want to give my picks for that necessarily, but I will be giving my picks for UFC um, Shenzhen, I guess it's pronounced, um, the, the card in China. I will be giving my picks for those this episode. But the Bellator one I'm intrigued about. Um, we got Nick Newell on the prelims, and why the fuck he's buried on the prelims, I have no idea. He's a main card fighter, dude. That's it. And why the fuck they only gave him a one-fight deal is beyond me. And I was listening to Split Decision podcast, um, which is a great podcast. If you don't listen to, what the fuck are you doing? Um, and Fight Geek was saying how it looks like this is like a prospect um, you know, building card and that they're trying to highlight a lot of their prospects, which for the most part is true. And he thinks that um, they're setting up Nick Newell for an easy win here. And I'm not so convinced, dude. Um, the gentleman he's fighting, Corey Browning, has uh, beaten Aaron Chalmers and um, Kevin Ferguson Jr. I guess Baby Slice. Um, now, both those guys are sort of new in their careers as well, but they were both prospects that um, Bellator was like kind of highly touting, and he. He eliminated them. Now, Aaron Chalmers, for all his um, fucking Jordy Shore bullshit, the man can fucking fight. Um, the way he put that uh, standing guillotine on this other guy, I can't remember if it was some jobber, but it was like oh, fucking impressive, by the way. And he knocks people the fuck out usually. So, you know, Corey Browning beating him, I think that's a nice win. Uh, I still think Nick Newell can can do his thing, um, but I think it's going to be a tough fight. I don't think they're they're giving him an, an easy an easy fight here. He's got to earn that contract. Because if he does win, especially in an impressive fashion, you got to believe they are going to keep him around. And uh, Nick Newell recently on the um, Ariel Helwani show said that he's very um, loyal to people who who support him and give him a chance. So he does want to sign with Bellator. You know, even I think he he said even if he loses, but obviously he's not in that mindset. He's not talking about you know losing. So I'm really excited to that. And the main event uh, intrigues me as well. Um, I listened to. Um, a couple of podcasts that were hating on Mitrion, um, saying he's a bitch. And I don't have like concrete proof that says he's not. I just happen to disagree. <laughs> uh, I like him a lot. I like his interviews, um, the way he talks about being a father and um his parents were psychologists or therapists. So his um talking about the mental side of fighting really is important, I think. So I like him and he's a fucking dynamic striker and he also hates uh wrestlers so that's something i can appreciate as a fan of the striking arts um but he lost uh via well i can't remember if they called it a no contest or or if it was a dq win for matt but um the guy he's fighting uh, sergey kharitonov um kicked him in the dick in like the first 30 seconds of the fight or something And it was just like that's all she wrote. Um, So I was gonna run that one back, which is nice. I think Matt takes that one uh, not easily, but I I think it can be a a nice victory. From it'll be a hard-fought victory, but um, something I'm looking forward to anyway. Although I'm probably gonna have to catch the replay, seeing as how um, got a lot to shit, a lot of shit to do for the honeymoon. But that's a that's another separate story for another day, and we're not going to talk about it here. But moving on, this is, um, th- there's a few things that have happened this week that I want to talk about uh, with you guys before we get into the, the listener questions here. A couple of headlines jumped out at me. Um, Dan Hardy entering the USADA testing pool. I'm really intrigued by this because I'm not one of those people that Like, I'm trying to figure out how to how to word this. I don't think, I, I don't have the mentality that you can't tell a person when to retire. If we got a BJ Penn situation, if we got a fucking, you know, people that are just putting too much wear and tear in their body for no reason, we got to tell these people to stop. And Dan Hardy has certainly been through a lot of wars, but he took, he's taken a long layoff. We essentially thought he was retired, although it wasn't, um of his own volition, he wasn't like I choose to retire. He was basically couldn't get licensed because of his heart condition. I believe it's called Wolf Parkinson syndrome. It's basically has like a like two heartbeats or something. Um uh, but he's saying, you know, he's pushed his heart to the limits. And basically the reason that's been precluding him from fighting is that he couldn't get licensed. So based on this, the fact that he's entering the USA testing pool, I think the the wheels are starting to be in motion. Maybe he has proven that you know it's no problem and when i say you know i mentioned before about telling a person when they should and shouldn't retire like dan hardy is an older fighter and and all of these older fighters making comebacks like you know fucking chuck liddell you know if that's proof of anything but um dan hardy has been taking care of his body and um taking care of his diet i think his wife is vegan. Or maybe she's a vegetarian, and I know his, his friend and broadcast partner, John Gooden, is vegan. And I think that's um, helped him, you know, recover and just all with his health overall. And he fucking looks good on Instagram. Not that I'm like, mmm, Dan Hardy. I'm just saying, like, his his uh, combinations and stuff on the bag, they look really sharp. And it looks like he's really, like, a, kind of obsessed with Muay Thai. So... Whenever I see that, it's kind of intriguing to me, and uh, I like it. I like it a lot. And I and I was reminded of what he said after the Mickey Gall fight, because Mickey Gall called him out, which is a fucking waste of a call out. It was so terrible, and I think we talked about it on this podcast. But uh, Dan Hardy responded like Ariel brought him on. He called Dan on the show. He kind of booked him back to back and had them kind of like him respond to Mickey on the show, and he was like. Listen, I, I, you know, I'm looking to, I'm looking forward to watching you grow as a prospect. I'm not interested in fighting you. Whenever I do make my return, it's going to be uh, against a veteran, and I want it to be bloody. Basically, is what he said. Um, like someone like the Matt Brown fight. He was scheduled to fight Matt Brown when that uh, Wolf Parkinson syndrome thing came up. So, some something like that. Speaking of Matt Brown, and I didn't actually write this down, but I'm thinking about it. Um, Matt Brown was just booked against, uh, Ben Saunders. And Matt Burns, another one they kind of flirted with retirement, basically had a retirement fight, uh, against Diego Sanchez. And I really hate when guys back out of their retirement, like, uh, Stefan Struve did like just fucking retire once guy like that's it, dude. And um, Matt Brown had his kids in the cage. He put his gloves down. And then when he uh, he had his fight after that, he was like, Oh, well, I never said retire. They always say that, dude. They always say, Well, if you go back and listen, I never actually said the word retirement. It's like, dude, talk about a fucking reality check that's needed. But I would love to. So basically, what I'm saying is if Matt Brown gets past Ben Saunders uh, and uh, Dan Hardy gets cleared. I would love to see Dan Hardy versus Matt Brown with two, two old uh, you know, veterans of the game. Not old, but, you know, been around and uh, definitely want to throw down. That's going to be a fucking war if we can get that happen. Dude, if Matt Brown has been following anything, if he has inside information and he calls out Dan Hardy with a win, um, I can get behind that for damn sure. So let's see it. Let's see it. Um the next little piece of news I wanted to talk about was um Conor McGregor's interview with Ariel. And actually I didn't um I didn't put this on until basically last minute last night, which is when I was supposed to record anyway, so I would have kind of missed it, but uh I originally did not want to see it. I'm like I kind of have no interest in this. I've said before that Connor used to be my favorite, one of my favorite fighters. He kind of got me into MMA, but the shit he's been doing and, and the mindset he's been having is just trash, if I'm honest. Um and then everyone was saying, Oh, it's a fake apology, you know, he's only apologizing because the, the video came out, he doesn't really care. And not that I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, I guess I try to give everyone the benefit of the doubt to an extent, but I, I'm not interested in hearing that kind of apology, you know. And there's this thing on MMA Twitter, which is just so fucking toxic. Dude, if you're uh, – if you say one positive thing about Conor McGregor, you're like a dick writer, and you, you're like, oh, why don't you just fucking move to Ireland and, and like, you know, let's pump the brakes. Like, I can sit here and say he's a good fighter um, and that he, you know, is maybe going to have tr- struggle with some of the top five at lightweight, but he's not a bum and he's not a fucking overhyped whatever. And that's not me being a dick writer. That's, that's pretty objective. You know, there's a lot of things he does well, you know, in the cage and he's great for the sport uh, as far as the way he markets himself. So I don't think I'm a fucking dick rider for saying that that's, that's pretty objective, you know? So. I just had to say that. And so I, was, I wasn't going to watch the interview because I, I wasn't interested in anything like that. But I started to hear people talk about it. And uh, what really kind of, I don't know, convinced me to, to, to go ahead and check it out was um, Ariel put the audio on his podcast feed. I was like, well, well okay, I'll do that. you know, Because I don't want to actually watch the video and be like, you know, kind of tuning in. But I had it on while I was doing other things, um, although, you know, fully engaged. And I liked what I was hearing um not not 100% you know Ariel was asking him so, sort of the tougher questions like you know Luke Thomas criticized him for not grilling him enough which i thought was just um Luke being a fucking um the headline grabber i guess um but Ariel pressed him as much as he could i mean he was live on sports center um or maybe maybe it was taped but i think it was live um either way it's on sports center and they're not going to go back and edit anything so He has a certain kind of reputation to uphold when it comes to that. And um, Connor really wasn't willing to go there with certain subjects. And he was trying to say like, what's your side of the story? What happened? What provoked you hitting that old man? And Connor just said, listen, I was completely in the wrong. He did not deserve that. There's nothing I can say that will make make up for it. I was completely wrong. And it did not, to me personally, did not sound like a forced apology. It sounded pretty genuine. and uh he sounded like he he wants to get back in the fight game and actually something chael said um on his podcast a few weeks back he said if you follow connor's social media it appears that he may be trying to do a face turn like turn from a heel to a face like be the good guy and that kind of intrigues me and that's kind of what i got from this interview as well he was praising nate diaz um, he 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 had to throw a couple jabs just to keep that uh, door open, um, because we know that that trilogy is based on um, I mean it does have a little bit of a, co- a competitive nature since they are one one, but it was really based on the fucking smack talk. Let's be honest. So he has to keep that door open just a little bit, but it seems like he is trying to be like the good. He's like, I'm a fan, Ariel. I'm a fan. Um, so those are my thoughts on that one thing also he did mention in that interview is that he would love to fight frankie edgar and and it didn't seem like he was like i want to book it like 100 there's definitely a lot of hurdles to overcome with that but um he said that once in an interview frankie edgar said i want to be able to tell my grandkids that i fought conor mcgregor he said when i heard that I was a massive you know uh, respect for that massive love for that i text dana right away and uh I was like, oh, wow, he really doesn't want to fight Frankie. Which brings me to my next point. I would like to issue a public apology and ask for forgiveness for the head of New Jersey MMA Twitter, and that is Genghis Black. Um, He said I I should have my fucking jersey card revoked, and that I'm not really one of you for not having Frankie Edgar in my top five. So I'm I'm fucking... He's number six, dude, if, if anything. And, and uh, to be honest, I don't really make a top five that I keep in my back pocket. That was kind of to answer a question. So um want to apologize to gangs on the podcast. I am I am a Jersey guy now, and that's it, dude. That's it. Frank Edgar's the, the shit, and, and that's all I can say. But moving on to the last little bit of tidbit here before we get into the forum, one matchup uh, got announced other than Matt Brown that really came across my eye as something I wanted to talk about, and that is – Molly McCann versus Diana Belbida versus UC Boston. Now, you may be sitting here listening going, I have no idea who Diana is. And you'd be correct to not know who she is because she hasn't fought anybody. Dude, Molly McCann is out here putting in work on the big stage, putting in work for Liverpool. She's the first and only uh, woman to from england to get a win in the ufc she's not the first woman from england to fight in the ufc i believe that was rosie sexton um but she's the first one to get a win in the octagon um from england and dude her fighting style is worthy of 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 being on the main card in my opinion i don't think she's a prelim fighter at all i think that's fair to say you don't have Michael Bisping tweet out during her fight saying Molly McCann is my new favorite fighter. You don't have a fucking girl like that on the prelims, dude. You don't have a girl like that fighting a debutante on a fight night headlined by Dominic Reyes. Are you kidding me? We need to get Molly McCann a ranked opponent. If she beats this uh, girl, which I fully expect... And um, I'm willing to to admit that I know nothing about this girl's skills, so I could be far underestimating her. I'm sure, you know, if they gave her a UFC contract, she's worthy uh, of that and probably, you know, hopefully a good stylistic matchup for Molly. But if she beats her and does not call out someone in the top 10, I'll be disappointed. Or at least if she doesn't get someone in the top, uh, at least 15. I'm not, you know, trying to rush her. And I I made this point on Twitter, and a lot of people were like, would you rather um, have... You know, Herbie be rushed like Till. Uh, was Darren Till rushed? Or did he just run into some hard matchups? Like, he beat Wonderboy, according to the judges. Not according to myself, but according to the judges. Um, and before that, see, he really only came on people's radar after he fought Cowboy. But he was he was fighting in the UFC for a couple years before that. And he had to draw with Nicholas Dalby... He had the fight with uh, Boyan Velichkovich, um, which was a very exciting fight. He was doing work, and just people didn't notice him until Cowboy, so they thought he was being rushed. Those are my thoughts on that. Uh, So would I like Molly McKenna to be rushed? No. But is it really possible to rush someone in the women's flyweight division? Really? Is the the division that deep where there are straight killers in the top ten? No. There's a killer from Liverpool, and her name is fucking Molly Meepal Machan. okay? That's what I think. But who cares what I think? Let's hear what you guys think. Um, Not only regarding that, regarding a plethora of topics, which I'm so excited to get into. Thank you guys for bringing the heat on this forum. Um, We're going to take a quick break so Daddy can get paid, and then we're going to return. So be right back. And we're back. Still searching for that theme song. Hopefully, I'll be inspired when I'm in Mexico to get something. But um, until then, you just get boring old me. All right. We got a lot of questions here, and I'm I'm so excited. Let's just dive right in. First one comes from my man, MMA Dude. And it says, how do you see the top of the last two pay-per-views shaping out UFC 244 and UFC 245? We already know... Nunez versus GDR is confirmed for 245. Dana said Colby versus Usman is happening by end of the year. 242 has big implications. What title fights do you hope to see by the end of 2019? This is incredible. And he also has given his uh, idea for a few things, so I want to kind of read that real quick. He says, My guess is UFC 244, we see Jones versus Blahovich, um, and then Holloway versus Volkanovski." And uh, UFC 245, Habib versus either Ferguson or Poirier versus McGregor, two depending on the outcome of 242, and then um, Usman versus Covington and Nunes versus GDR. Very interesting um, take on that. Now, what my curiosity on this is choosing to kind of stack those in in reverse order because i actually think 244 i believe that's the one in msg that's usually the only place they want to do three title fights um because it's just so expensive and they want to sell it out and they want to make it a big deal um you know they did that for 205 they did that for 217 which i attended and it was the best card of all time uh so they might do something like that. Um, I like what you said about Holloway versus Volkanovski. I think if that doesn't uh, make it on the New York card, that'll go uh, on on 245 uh, because Holloway likes to fight in Vegas, like the whole 10th Island thing, you know, or not, sorry, ninth Island, 10th Island is Canada, ninth Island. Um, but Jones versus Blachowicz, I think, is a good front runner for um, for UFC 244. Um, Jones has yet to fight in New York. He's actually from there, even though he claims New Mexico. He's actually from New York. So a terrible—and um, they already have Corey Walker. It's Corey Walker. God damn it, It's early. Corey Anderson versus Johnny Walker on the card, and they like to put the kind of number one contender bout on the same card, A, because one of them can kind of move up, a la, you know, Ally Quinta getting the shot against Khabib. Um, just, you know, or the timing works out so that they're both— you know, they just fought at the same time so that they can make the next fight kind of line up. So I would definitely, I definitely agree with you on the Jones versus bohovich Now, um, I would rather than make Usman versus Covington on the same card as John Jones. But uh, it is kind of looking like it's going to be later in the year. So I kind of agree with you. I like the way you've kind of laid out. Here, Phil, but I I do think they're going to try and put three title fights uh, on the New York card rather than do that for the um uh for, for the for the Vegas card in December. Now, you're absolutely right about the outcome of 242 impacting a lot of this because if uh, either habib or Poirier gets out of there quickly, you know the whoever emerges victorious, if they um, are fresh. I could definitely see a quick turnaround to MSG, and um, if they can slide Conor in there, they would fucking love that. They would lose their minds. Because um, if Khabib wins, I don't think, um, I don't think it'll be quickly. I think it'll be like a decision or maybe like a late, late stoppage. But um, I think if Poirier wins, it could definitely be an early um, victory for him. Those are just my uh, thoughts on it. Feel free to disagree with me, as I'm sure you all probably will. And tour loves to do that. But, uh, dude, if we get Tony versus Habib on that uh, MSG card, who baby, I'll be coming everywhere. I'll be drowning in my own cum. So that's kind of what I think. Very, very good question. I think we can uh, talk more about this. It's probably a little uh, little early, but I liked where, you're, where he was going with it, and I wanted to kind of give my early predictions for that. And then next we got a question from my man Cyrus King. He sent this to me literally after I just hit submit on the last episode. (laughs) So I I wanted to make sure I I got this here. Um, He says, would you say Paulo Costa is sort of a younger version of Romero? How do you like his chances against Whitaker or Issy? Who does he match up better against? And it's it's so funny that he asked this because I asked this same question to Phil and the Fight Geek for – uh, split Decision Podcast um, So go ahead and listen to their thoughts on it Because I think we should all kind of Get all the input we can from each other You know, that's just sort of my Opinion on things However, uh, I kind of agree that I like His chances better against um, Israel Adesanya than I do Against uh, Robert Whitaker But I'm not one of those people That Is um Counting Izzy out. I'm not want to say, oh, he's too skinny. He's going to walk right through uh, Whitaker's going to walk right through him. Fuck this guy. He's like, oh, look at what Kelvin Gastelum did. Robert Whitaker did the same thing. I get that. But uh, they're totally different style matchups. So I could definitely see Israel Adesanya being victorious. And I could, st- I could see him being victorious against Paolo Costa. Um, although I do have to give respect to Costa after that victory over Romero. That was well-earned. Um, I did not score for Romero, but I get it if you did. Uh, But either way, the fact that he was able to make it close enough that the judges, you know, swayed his way, at least on the night, um, I think that there's something to be said for that. hes uh, I wouldn't say he's a younger version of Romero. It certainly seemed that way in that matchup, you know, but looking back on it, he doesn't have the wrestling credentials. Um, He also fights differently. Romero, people talk about his cardio, and what he does is he saves it for the end. He, I don't think he's like like he went five rounds with Whitaker and uh, I mean Whitaker twice. Um, he saves it. And Chael t- talked about this on his podcast a long time ago. He said it's it's indicative of the entire Cuban wrestling team. They all kind of like sort of play around a little bit and then explode at the end. He said they all do that, and I I I get it. Like that makes total sense. So going back to the end of the question. Who who do I like his match better against? I like him better against Izzy, but I still think um, Izzy would uh, I would favor him over Costa. I'm just not ready to be a Costa believer at the moment, with that fucking bald spot. By the way, you guys should all follow um follow Costa's bald spot on Twitter. I think it's at Costa Spot. You can find I mean, there's only one pelo Costa bald spot account. Just figure it out. Um, so go follow him. And then we've we've got a couple of other questions I want to get to. These are these are nice um questions here. This is from Marshall Artest. It is uh at Oil Ra on Twitter. Or sorry, Ollie. I'm so dyslexic. Um it says What's your favorite combat sports moment of twenty nineteen so far? Also, your favorite 2019 moment for you personally outside of combat sports. Uh, well, for me personally, it's me getting married. I mean, I can't um, say that on a podcast, especially the one right before I got on my honeymoon without saying that. But it's so true. Um, it really was like pretty much the best day of my life. Um, so that's just having to be accurate there. And combat sports moment is really hard. Um, <sighs> Like, th- there's some recency bias and, you know, I did pick DC to win against Stipe, but seeing Stipe win the way he did and doing the fucking Irish jig, uh, river dance, which some people thought was a crip walk, but that was very funny. It's definitely not, but that was funny. Um, him getting a victory, Nate Diaz coming back. Like, so far, my favorite combat sports moment has pretty much been UFC 241. Um, but, but the, but Israel winning the belt was... It's probably a close second. Like that was awesome. Um, not only the fucking fight, uh, but just the the way he acted afterward in the press conference. The way they were so respectfully of each other. Um, I really liked that a lot. So, so those are kind of my top two there. But great question. All right, next we got a couple questions from the Raging Sweet Potato at JB underscore Dix underscore nine oh two. This is um this is something that I missed last week and um I wanted to make sure I to, to get it in. He says UFC PI in China is a forerunner of what's to come or do you think that, that the construction of the UFC PI in China is a forerunner of what's to come? Will we see PIs in every region of the globe, North America, South America, Europe, Asia, Africa, Oceania, leading to perhaps regional champions? Or will the UFC avoid having multiple champions in individual weight classes and just add more divisions? Very interesting questions. Now, this is something that has been very confusing to me for the longest time because Dana uh, and uh, the previous UFC brass have said that they want to... um, sort of avoid the boxing model of like in boxing, there's a weight, weight class every three pounds or so it's goddamn ridiculous. And the belts are meaningless and that you only see like, you know, a ton of title fights and no one knows who the fucking contenders are like the UFC, the way they have said it and the way the matchmakers have said that say our, our job is not to build champions, it's to build contenders. And I really like that model, um, of like building the rise and have the champion just being like the sort of, uh, Rows at the mountaintop, if you will, um, like what everyone is searching for, um, and so there's less focus on champions and more on contenders. Uh, however, you know they got to market the champions as well. I'm not saying they don't, but um, it's a it's a good question. It's certainly indicative of them trying to build that market because for the longest time, um, China has not produced um, very, uh, largely successful mixed martial artists because they're they're rooted in the traditional martial arts background, and there's been a bit of a like. I want to say civil war, like that's that's a bit harsh, but sort of a a, a battle, if you will, of, of like what's better traditional martial arts or mixed martial arts, like putting in the ground game and wrestling and boxing, like all that sort of thing. And um, with the success of not only Zhang Wei uh, Li Jingliang, which we're going to get to in the, the breakdown, I think we're starting to see the mixed martial arts take a little more precedent and that's kind of what i think this pi in china will signal um they are also interested in the african market i think dan is looking to like like it just got legalized in mma just got legalized in france and they might try and do a card there or sorry it's about to get legalized my bad um as of yet it's not beneficial but it's about to get legalized i think they might test the markets there's there's you know a fair amount of African um, immigrants in that part of the world, and you know, Ie Francis Ngannou, etc. So I think they might do something there to test the waters if they want to go to Africa, which already has a solid market with the, I believe, the promotion called EFC. So I would, I would say. Uh, putting a PI in Africa would probably be the next candidate if I'm, if I'm honest. And I like where you're going with that. I don't know if it'll, it'll, if it'll signal like regional champions, if you will. Um, because that's sort of interesting. Like we have the PI in Vegas in America and it's not like every champion is American currently. So I don't know. Certainly they, they, they probably want to put one in Brazil. I mean, Brazil is like, like the kind of roots of the UFC. So, I don't know. Great question, Ray. Ray and always answer the questions that it's like we don't really know that we can only speculate, but it's very thought provoking. So I love having them on here because we can sort of like I don't know postulate. It's really it's really good. But moving on. Oh, that, that's it for those kind of questions. But um, the, he also sent in a fucking voice question for the first time so I'm so excited for that and uh, let's play that
1: hey there juice
2: it's the raging sweet potato all the way from the northern wilds of Canada eh? I got a question for you if you don't mind me asking after UFC 241, we saw the CSAC release some stats on individual fighter weight gain between weigh-ins and fight night, with a whole bunch of them greatly exceeding the recommended limits set by the CSAC. If the Athletic Commission started implementing these weight gain limits, do you think we'll see more support or more blowback from the fighters? Because they don't seem to care right now. Oh shit, gotta go. There's a Canada Goose riding a polar bear coming this way. <laughs>
0: Dude, how Canadian was that? I could not have possibly been more Canadian. Even said, "Oh, good, a question. If you don't mind me asking, if you don't mind, of course I don't mind. That's what this is for?" That was so amazing. Um, so thank you for sending that in. Made my fucking day when I listened to that. Um, and a and a great question as well, dude. That whole weight thing. Um, that's one of the like biggest letdowns in like MMA news, as far as I'm concerned. Like Andy Foster, uh, they. Um, commissioner of the of the California State uh, Athletic Commission. I don't know he's commissioner, but the executive director of the commission or whatever his official title is. Dude, he had, like, this whole 10-point plan for fucking getting rid of weight cutting. And it's so simple, dude. It's so simple. Like, he's like, oh, will you weigh in a month out? And, oh, uh, we're going to check fight night weights. And you can't weigh more than 10%. But they're not sticking to it. And, you know... If you want to eliminate weight cutting, you do the weigh-ins an hour before the event, dude. That's the only fucking way you're gonna eliminate weight cutting. It's not adding more divisions. If you add a 165 pound division, it's gonna, you know, cause some 55ers to, um, to uh, to not cut as much weight, which is great. But it's also gonna make some 70 pounders going like, shit, five extra pounds. I could lose that. I mean, it's not really. Uh, a solution. Now that said, if you guys listen to the podcast, you know I am a, a proponent of that 165 pound division. But adding more divisions and um, and giving people more options is not going to eliminate weight cutting. You got to stop it in its tracks. You got to do something like one does with the hydration and then, like you you can't weigh in uh, if you're not fully hydrated. Or you got to do fucking one hour weight weigh uh, ins. That's it. And that's it. Dude, and like he said, the, it, they made a whole big splash because she was the main event. Like, oh, Aspen Lad went in one fifty nine on Fight Night. Oh, look how she bad she looked on the scale. And they're absolutely right. But then, you know, if you're gonna fucking make that, dude, if if you're gonna put that out there as like we're suspending her license at bantamweight, she can only be licensed at featherweight, uh, in California, then why are you releasing these all these weights of them? uh, being so egregious and not and not doing anything else about it just because they're on the prelims dude manny bermudez versus casey kenny had to be a catch weight because of your fucking rules and you're not going to suspend their license you're just like ah, oh, look he, he was pretty overweight paulo costa dude could have fought at heavyweight on the on the night dude what a fucking travesty this 10 point plan is what a fucking letdown like i was so hopeful for that when i when i when I saw it, you know, this is a going back like a year, more than a year. This is probably like, I want to say it was 199 Cause what UFC 199 was the first event that they introduce, uh, introduced, the uh, morning weigh-ins. And that was sort of part of it. I don't, I don't know if that was just the first step. And then he was 10 point pound later. Um, but that was sort of the, the crux of it. And uh, like, where have we like, how, how far have we come? Like uh, people are still missing weight. People are still weighing in extremely heavy. We're definitely waiting for someone to die. That's what's happening. And I'm not trying to wish that on anyone, but that's what the fuck they're waiting for. That's my opinion anyway. Not to get dark on you guys. I certainly did that when those boxers died. That's sort of the darkest I want to go. Anyway. Let's talk about... Um, The voice questions. These are the fucking best part of this podcast. And um, we got a great one to start. The title of this says, Ryan Barf Bader, the greatest?
2: What's up, Juice? It's Punk Rock Dad. And I wanted to get your thoughts on this uh, greatest heavyweight champion ideology that uh, Scott Coker's representing right now on Twitter. Um, Do you think if Ryan Bader came back to the UFC right now that he would, you know, be top five or would he become champion? Um, Do you think he would even be able to like hang in the heavyweight division? Honestly. And uh, if so, who would you like to see him matched up against? All right, man, rock on. And Wallace, you're pushing your luck every day, dude. Every freaking day.
0: Dude, this is such a great question. First of all, when I saw that, I I think it was meant to trigger people. Like I had I had tweeted out I said, you know, Savage Coker or Salty Coker or whatever is my favorite Coker, and I still stand behind that. Whenever he like takes jabs at the UFC, I love it, dude. It's amazing. Um first off, He only said that because DC lost. Because basically they both had, you know, when DC had both belts, Ryan Bader also had both belts uh, at 205 and, and heavyweight. So it's very obvious that he was not able to make that statement when DC was a champion. But now that Stipe beat DC and uh, DC no longer has a 205 belt either, he's like, "Oh, greatest heavyweight of all time." Because, it, or I don't know, of all. If you're trying to say of all time, I mean that's fucking egregious. I think you're just saying like currently or whatever. Um because he has the hardware to back it up, as far as he's concerned. I mean, he's doing what a good promoter should do. Uh, but focusing on your actual question, would Bader be able to hang in the top five? I think so. I mean, to me, Bader, like, when he entered the the heavyweight tournament in Bellator, I literally think it was only to fight Fedor. Because when he signed to, to Bellator initially, he said, you know... He, he He had made a statement before when he was like a free agent or whatever he said whatever uh, uh, organization I sign with, it's gonna be what has the the most clear path to the belt um, of what you know because he felt like he deserved a title shot in the UFC or at least he felt like he needed a plan to get there and not just be like you know win fights, you know you know specific matchups, and he wasn't getting that. And the UFC did make him an offer. But uh, Bellator made him a fucking way better offer, and the UFC was not willing to to match that one. Uh, but also, basically, they gave him a, I think, an immediate title fight against Phil Davis. And um, when when he sort of made the announcement, and he was on a show. He was like, "There's just good options at Bellator. The Fedor fight intrigues me." I'm like, "Why are why are guys wanting to just like beat up on legends so they can have it on their resume?" Like. Let's fucking keep Fedor in fights like, you know, Rampage and other dudes. Frank Mir, we can have those guys fight each other and not have people that are in their prime beat up on Fedor. Let's fucking pump the brakes on that, please. And so I literally think he entered that tournament just because just Scott was like, well, we're going to put uh, Fedor on the other side of the bracket. So if you uh, run and look, he's, g- he's going to be up against Chael. And then Bader was like, oh, absolutely, let's do this tournament. And then he kind of realized this is sex he has because not a lot of heavyweights can wrestle. And um, he has more power because he's not cutting weight. Uh, it's interesting that he's choosing to defend the heavyweight belt first against Czech Congo since winning it. I mean, I kind of predicted that would happen, but, you know, Bellator kind of has their own plans sometimes, so you never really know. However if we talk about actual stylistic matchups, like who's about to fight for the, the belt right now in the UFC, you know, now that A won, it's either going to be DC or, you know, for the trilogy, or it's going to be Francis Ngannou. I don't think there are really any other options. Let's, let's keep John Jones out of the picture. Cause that's just fucking not going to ever happen. If you, th- if you think John Jones is going to fight a heavyweight in the next three years, you're fucking on the worst cocaine and you should uh, go to your dealer and say, I need a better cocaine dude. John Jones is not interested in giving anyone advantages over him. He's interested in being the longer uh, fighter and beating up on 205-pounders. Uh, That's what he's interested in, dude. He's interested in get, he believes believes—he's got such a fucking ego that he believes if he had not been stripped that he would have broken you know, Anderson Silva's and Mighty Mouse's record. He's interested in making these guys rush into title fights and killing them off. That's what he's interested in. He is not going to sign to fight Stipe in a million fucking years, dude. That's it. That's it. So, who's about to fight for the belt in the UFC? Francis Ngannou or DC? Now, DC versus Bader is a fight that I was interested in um, a while ago because of when DC won the belt against Rumble. He said, I want the easiest paycheck in the division. I want Ryan Bader. Um, And I still think DC beats Bader, um, but I think Given Bader's success, now I I see it could be interesting, especially at heavyweight. Like, at light heavyweight, I'm like, "Uh, I don't know. But uh, at heavyweight, I think DC beats him. Or, I'm sorry. At 205, I think DC probably beats him easily. At heavyweight, it's a little bit of a different conversation. Bader certainly is bigger, and we've seen he has power. He fucking hit King Mo's lights out, you know, in like 18 seconds or whatever that was. So... Bader's not a slouch by any means, but um, I get why people are are triggered by Scott saying, like, oh, he's the greatest everyone of all time, or whatever he's saying. Um, like, obviously that's not true. And until we have cross-promotion fights, we'll never be able to know that, dude. It's like what I said when Kyoji beat um, Caldwell. And obviously this isn't really aging well because he just got upset by Asakura or whatever the fuck. So we have to kind of see where that goes. But... At the time, I was like, dude, we can't be calling Henry Cejudo, uh the best band of all time when Kyoji is out here fucking smashing other, other promotions, and he's a flyweight champion as well. Like, come on, dude. We have to have cross-promotional fights to determine who's the best out there. That's it. So, right now, it's Dipe and uh, Bader is in the conversation, believe it or not, but he's not the best, so wow, that was a tangent about Bader. I did not think I was going to give Ryan Bader this much fucking time on my podcast. I think, by the way, though, that's like sort of like getting it all at once. I do not think we're going to be talking about Ryan Bader for the next like year, probably. So that's probably good. I think we just like got it all of our systems now. Now we don't have to talk about Ryan Bader anymore. That's good. By the way, I, I got a question. Well, it wasn't a question. It was a message. From someone that I thought was really cool. It made my day. Uh, It was from Please Unblock Me, Tony Ferguson. And it is someone trying to do an American uh, dialect. And dude, we need more of that on this podcast. There's too many people trying to imitate um, British accents and British dialects. And you're not fucking good at it. But dude, when people from the UK or from other parts of the world try and do an American dialect, it is the funniest shit I've ever heard. Uh, please do more of that if you're listening from the UK, all the 13% of my listeners that come from that part of the world. Oh, dude, this is a great one. This is a great one. The fucking title of this is Conor McGee is a Slimy Eel Motherfucker.
3: What's up, Fighting With Myself podcast? It's your boy, I say doodle a lot. Oh, we're about to see Nate Diaz and Jorge Masvidal. Go to blows, but I got a feeling Conor McGregor gonna sneak his slippery snake ass in there to challenge for the title of bad motherfucker. Oh, makes me real mad. Makes me real mad. I don't know.
0: What do you think? Oh yeah. I don't know why that makes me laugh so hard. Dude, the wording of that is so funny. It is like, we're about to see Nate Diaz, Noah Masvidal, go to blows. And then he, and then it was like, Conor is going to slip his slimy eel ass in there. And for some reason, the way that was worded, I mean, he's literally sticking his ass in there. <laughs> Dude. I got to feel like if Jorge beats Nate, and by the way, that fight's happening. Like, there's no way they don't make that fight. There could be some hurdles to overcome as far as money, but I think they recognize that that's going to make them a lot of money, and they're going to make that fucking fight happen. Um, However, if Jorge beats uh, Nate, yeah, if Jorge beats Nate, Obviously, he's setting himself up for a title. He said, all I want is a title shot or a fight with Nate. That's it. And uh, now that he's got the Nate fight, if he beats Nate, um, there's really no other contenders um, for him to get the winner of either Colby or Usman, which is probably going to be Usman because Colby uh, sucks. No, he doesn't. He's actually very good. But um, Kamaru Usman is kind of the same and just a little better. Dude, uh, If if – holy shit. My cats are freaking out. I'll be right back. Sorry about that, guys. That never fucking happens. Um, I have four cats, and sometimes they like to try and kill each other, which is just about par for the course. Um, what was I saying about Conor McGregor? Oh, dude, Conor McGregor trying to get in with that. Dude, I think if Jorge beats Nate, he's going to call out the winner of uh, Colby Usman. Uh, probably by the time... To be honest, like by the time the fight happens, it'll either be on the same card or, you know, Colby Uthman will have just happened. So we'll kind of know the outcome. So we'll, we'll know who he's going to call out. But I think if Nate wins, he might go after the Connor trilogy. But although I kind of like that, um, basically, they boxed him out. Um, Masvidal was trying to get a fight with Connor originally, and then that sort of didn't really pan out. So he kind of. Targeting Nate Diaz, and although everyone expected Nate to call it Connor, he called it Jorge instead, and they just kind of like boxed him out. It almost reminded me of um, UFC 200 when they pulled um, Connor from the card and um, expected Nate to be like, "Yeah, fuck that guy, I'll fight whatever." And he's like, "No, if you want to pull him, that's fine. I-, I hate doing media. Fuck that. We're gonna make this fight uh, separately." And then they they booked it for 202. Uh, Also, don't want to be given Connor this much time, so this is an interesting um, series of questions here. Uh, Connor versus the winner of that is not something that really interests me, but I am interested in Nate versus Jorge a lot. And I don't think um, Connor is going to be working his way into that storyline to begin with, but we might see him emerge after. So, we'll see. We shall see, I say dude, a lot
3: What'd it look like fighting myself? It's your boy Gangus, ripping Asbury. And check it out. The fans wanna know. If you were a fighter with all that luscious hair, what would you do when you stepped in the cage? Would you pop it up in a man bone? Would you braid that shit up? How would you wear it? Let the fans know.
0: Dude, this is a great question. Um, the title of it says Get Your Hair Did, which I love. And um I thought about this a lot, not a lot, but, um, I have given a consideration, especially since I heard it. And, um, my default is man bun, uh, cornrows on a white guy does not look good. It just doesn't, but, uh, especially when someone has blonde hair like me, um, but Elias Theodoro said that when he fought Tiago Santos, um, his ponytail or whatever he had came undone and that affected his vision a lot. And kind of, I mean, he was probably getting fucked up by Tiago Santos anyway. I mean, let's not make excuses for him, uh, but he said it definitely affected his vision. Dude, like the the fact that Benson Henderson fights with that shit down amazes me. Like if he like any victory he gets because of that is just like mind blowing. The fact that he just kind of like has it loose and it's all in his face. I'm like, dude, how the fuck, Clay Clay Guida as well. Although he, which is funny because he he pinned it up for the Brian Ortega fight and he got knocked the fuck out with a flying knee, so that was great. Um, I would probably like just based on history, based on what I've seen, do cornrows. Like Uriah, he does look okay with it, but it also accentuates his uh, five heads. So you know, it's not the best look to have. It's only on fight night, but I would probably, you know, to be honest with you, I would I would probably try and do something unique where it's like braided but also like with a fucking like design like i'm gonna i'm gonna go to like a barbershop in compton and just say hey do my shit up bright and have it be like funky as fuck um even though i said braids are terrible on white i'm sounding like i'm being really contradictory when i say that i guess those are my thoughts on that yeah i would probably do some weird braids but i might i might try and do like something different for every fight um, if i was a fighter we'll see all right, the title of this next question says, G can beat up Wallace. And if you're following uh, this push-up challenge, you know what I'm talking about, and you know what this guy's talking about.
3: What's up, Fighting With Myself podcast? It's your boy, I say dude a lot. And today I want to talk about thievery, people stealing ideas, fucking push-up contest ideas push-ups what the fuck is going on fucking wallace i'll bitch press your whole family shut the fuck up oh
2: yeah
0: oh man i had to play it because it made me laugh uh, so hard especially the title but I do want to say this, like anytime anyone is doing a push-up contest of any, of any sort, um, even if you see someone else do it and you decide to do your own, that's totally fine because A, it's, it's still promoting positivity and fitness, which is good, and B, it's more so that kind of notion that you know high tide raises all ships and that um, it's something that anyone can get involved in. And it's all good. <laughs> the fact that he's like can bench press your whole family. I love it. Um, and I also love that um, Wallace sort of ignores the hate. Like we have every question from the punk rock dad being like, "Wallace, I fucking hate you. You're 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 a bitch." And he just comes on be like, "Hello, everyone from MMA Let's let's all have a good time." I love it, dude. I say dude a lot. I miss your real voice. Bring that back. Uh, but I love the matcha myself as well. So either way, keep it coming. This is a uh this is a uh, someone making their debut on the podcast, if I can say that. Um here we go. Hey. Okay, how the fuck does this work? Okay. <laughs>
2: I'm recording. This is Andreas MMA, Fighting with Myself podcast. And yeah, I've got a question, of course. Um a friend, a friend and I are still talking about it that the Russians are taking over. Better yet, Dagestanis are taking over. Um, what do you think of that, seeing all the upcoming top talent like Sabit and all the Nuga Um Just curious what your opinion is uh, about that and, uh, well, how much it will affect the UFC. Uh, well, that's just about it. Greetings
0: and love to all the MMA fam. Bye. Oh my gosh, I love this question so much. First of all, welcome to the program, Andreas. I love that. Um, uh, shout out to the Netherlands, man. Uh, a lot of cool people from the Netherlands on MMA Twitter. And um, I want to know what y'all think of my Jermaine Duranami impersonation because I personally think it's on point. Um, but that's just me. I'm obviously biased. Dude, Russians taking over. By the way, I did not notice when I the first time I listened to this before the podcast, because I always got to screen every question. You know, I got to make sure no one's seeing any fucking horrible things. I'm going to make sure the sound quality is like, we've got to preview these things. I did not notice that he was saying the way he said Nermaga Madoff. is almost sounding like a word that should not be repeated. Uh, <laughs> that was amazing. Um, dude. Russians taking over. Very interesting. Now, Alexei Kunchenko just fought Gilbert Burns and uh Gilbert gave him his first loss. So that's certainly evidence of maybe not all the Russians are taking over. But you did mention specifically the Dagestanis and absolutely. It seems like Russians and I don't want to say anything like bad. I'm not I'm not trying to start a war here. I'm not trying to fucking have back and forth, but it seems like they are obsessed with winning, and it seems like no matter what the cost. Like Zabit, um, on when he came on the Ariel Hawani show, Ali Abdelaziz was translating, and so was um, his friend. Mostly, it was the friend translating, and Ali pretending that he can understand, and also just sort of like saying things he knows about Zabit to pump him up. Um, and he was explaining that. Um, and the translator kind of confirmed this that he was talking so it wasn't kind of out of nowhere but um, he was saying that there's a school in Russia, in, in Dagestan I believe um, that they're basically doing MMA from like five years old like at the school like they're like oh yeah general education that's fine but also here train wrestling train boxing, uh, train taekwondo and they're mixing it all together from that's why Zabit is so good now I do think Jeremy Stevens expose some holes a little bit and I hope Calvin Kader can notice that and capitalize on it Uh, because I don't know for some reason like prospects like that losing is like what I live for Uh, but I also love Zabid and if he becomes champion that would be really fucking cool Um, but you make a good point Um, (laughs) Russians taking over collusion collusion. no Uh, I think it all goes back to what I was talking about specifically the Dagestanis and I was actually thinking about one time I was in line for UFC um, 223, um, which was in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center. Um, shout out G uh, from Twitter. Now it's G from Woe TV. Just found out that her and I were both at that card. And uh, I feel like like whenever I find that, out, I think it's so cool because like our paths may have crossed, and you never know. Like I may have been fucking in the same line for like. Pretzels or whatever and she was there and we didn't Even know like that's kind of cool but um, My sheets were seats were kind of shitty So maybe not however I was In line with this guy from Europe um, Somewhere and he was saying that he When he flew in and had to go through customs uh, There was A bunch of um, Dagestan guys as well And they had to get sort of Like extra screening Um, You can speculate What you will on that but they said Um when there was became a certain point when they were all going to go to the next step or whatever and they all looked at each other and said it's time or habib time or whatever and they put on the Pafka, Pashka, or whatever it's called that hat that habib wears dude that shit is real and i don't know what it means in terms of success but like I'm starting. To, I'm starting to get the feeling that the way, like that whole, like felt like the whole country of Ireland would come out to support uh, Connor. It's starting to feel like they're doing that with Khabib. Like Khabib does not need to fight in Russia to be a star. He can fight at master Square Garden and be a fucking star, um, and have everybody come out and they will follow him. The amount of Russian and Muslim people that are going to be in, uh, in the arena at uh, Abu Dhabi, like for specifically for Khabib nuts dude they better have a plan in place and i'm talking about a fucking helicopter to be airlifted out if dustin poirier wins they better have a contingency plan they better not be saying oh he he's 27 or no you know he's got no shot they better be ready for fucking the worst to happen that shit is gonna get crazy oh my god i can't wait for that card, dude let's talk about dfc 242 for a minute just for a minute the fact that we have Felder Barboza and Poirier Khabib at the top of the bill that's it for me i could do just those fights i really wish the ufc and we're actually going to this is going to come up in another conversation so i'm not going to say too much but i really wish the ufc would go away from pay per view a little bit and like as far as like one price for the whole card i wish they would let you pick and choose Because sometimes I don't want to see the fucking first three fights that's like a random-ass light heavyweight fight or a random-ass fucking featherweight fight. No. No. Anyway, moving on. Uh, This is another person making their uh, FWM debut. I'm very excited about this.
1: Yo, Juice, it's Freelance Goon. First-time listener, first-time caller. I told you on Twitter I dug your stees. I dig the passion, I dig it all, brother. So here's my question. I saw you tweet that you would shave those lovely locks if John Jones moves up to heavyweight and beats Stepe. Now, I don't think he moves up to heavyweight, but I also think he's the best fighter to ever do it. Um, in the immortal words of Nick Diaz, everybody's on steroids. So I don't think him popping made him the fighter that he is. So I need to know from you objectively, objectively, Juice, how does John Jones do against Stipe? How's he do against Ngannou? How's he do against Blades? How do you see them fights turning out? All right, man. Keep up the good work, and I'll talk to you soon. Peace.
0: Dude, I love this question. First of all, if you're not following that guy on Twitter, you should. Um, he is someone who knows a lot about fighting, in my opinion, and is just a positive guy. I've never really seen you know, negative shit from him, which is so important on Twitter, especially MMA Twitter. Um, it's at Freelance Goon. Also, one of the best um, names, uh, you know, like that's a not a parody account. Um, how do I see? So, I will touch on that a little bit because, in my in, in my opinion, the asterisks of him popping for steroids it does matter. But what you said is is also true, and I think fi- the fight IQ obviously. It's not something that steroids will help, and a lot of the reason Jones is winning fights is because of the fight IQ. Obviously, his physical attributes are a big part as well, but uh, he's someone that has, I think, a tremendous fight IQ as well, which is a big part of his success. Now, the fight IQ wasn't so much there against Thiago Santos. I mean, he could have taken out on that motherfucker any time he wanted, and he didn't, so I Especially when the guy blew out his ACL, MCL, PCL, LCL, all of it, and he didn't take him down. So that was just weird. However, it's interesting what you said. How, how, he, how would he do again so the, the other thing? And by the way, the bet, I, I, I just said if John Jones even signs to fight Stepe I'll shave my hair. I did not say if he fights A and wins. That's not important. If he even steps up to the plate and signs it, I, I'll follow through on that bet. I have no fucking problem. Uh, my shit goes back quick, so that's fine. But also, he's not. I- I'm pretty confident that he's not. However, if he were to go up, I think it would be sort of for a one and done, or at least it would be for for him to just have two belts and and sort of like, yeah, I'll defend the heavyweight when I want to, but I'm gonna focus on these 205 fivers because I can easily make that weight. Um, so as far as like how would he do against Engano and Blades? I don't even think that's necessarily. Part of the question. I mean, since you asked it, um, I think he can he can get and down. Blades is a little bit of a different story because Blades is only his wrestling. Like, can can obviously Jones probably has better wrestling, but can he get a guy that big and strong down? I don't know. Although he certainly has much better striking, so he probably has the um, the take down defense ability to keep it standing. Yeah, he would piece Blades up. Let's be fair, he would fucking make Blades look. Uh, just amateur, I think. Um, but I think you know any fight that Francis Ngannou is in is there's going to be intrigue because of the fucking power. I mean, even though Stipe made him look um, silly in their first fight, everyone's saying, "Oh, but it only takes one." Um, and I'm starting to fucking believe that narr- narrative as well, just because Stipe took some big shots from DC, and and I don't know how much you, those you can take. Like it does fucking add up. Let's let's be real it does add up you know cumulatively but if he has enough time to recover i I favor stipe absolutely and and that's in both the in and the the jones fight for stipe you know if stipe has enough time to recover um i think stipe's toughness and his power um can give problems he's a better boxer than jones as well um I think Jones is a better kickboxer. He would definitely keep him in range. He would definitely kick that fucking knee. He loves that. Dude, he loves the teep to the knee, he loves the oblique kick or whatever the fuck you call it, the side kick to the thigh. He loves that. Um it's sort of a Jackson Wink staple. Holly Holm, Michelle Watterson, they all do it. Did I I feel like unequipped to answer this question because to actually break down the dynamics of John Jones versus Stipe requires someone with a mind that's more uh, experienced than myself. I feel I I, I don't want to do it justice because if we get that fight, dude, that is probably the most anticipated fight. If you ask me, like like Tony versus Habib, number one. Close second, John Jones Stipe, and then everything else is number three. Like I don't give a shit about whatever they they, they can do, whatever they want. Those are the top two fights I'd love to see. So I, I think it deserves a little bit more time and uh patience to answer. And if they make it, not only will I shave my hair, but I will I will give a proper breakdown, I will probably um get someone else on, you know, as uh as a guest to, to break that down with me. Which goes the same for Tony and Habib as well, by the way. Interesting question. Here's another uh first timer.
1: Hey, Jesus, it's Murph from Philly here. I'm calling with kind of really more than a question. I know most of the things. I don't need to ask questions. But uh, I'm hearing a lot about what the next hotbed of MMA is, whether it be Africa or whether it be Russia. But uh, not for nothing, I think it's going to be Philadelphia. And let me tell you why. Uh, One ounce of Philly Tough can go a long ways. Um, We've only had one fighter. And that was Eddie Alvarez, and he was a champion. So my thought is, uh, when, not if, does the Philly invasion actually happen? It's something to think about, not for nothing. All right, Murph from Philly. I'm going to hang up and listen now. Thank you.
0: I love that guy. Shouts to Murph from Philly. That's definitely his real name. Uh Interesting. So, yeah, as far as, like, Philadelphia MMA, it's really just been Eddie Alvarez putting putting y'all on the map. But Paul Felder um, is is a damn good fighter. And if he gets past Barboza, he's certainly in the conversation. I mean, he's definitely not next. I mean, Tony's next. If you think I'm going to allow them to give anyone else a title shot over over, uh, Tony Ferguson, you're out of your fucking mind. I will fly to vegas my hometown and i will take a shit on dana white's desk that's a promise going back to the question paul felder and people forget caitlin chukagian is also from philadelphia now she lives in long island currently she trains at henzo's in manhattan and also with mark henry in new jersey so um she's not always um like tied into to, to Philadelphia. But whenever they were announced going to Philadelphia, she was like, oh, I'm super fucking excited. This is my hometown. And Everyone was like, what? She's like, yeah, I'm actually from there. Um, so it's definitely something to, to look out for. I mean, it sucks that she's in such a competitive, or I shouldn't say competitive, it's such she's in a division where the champion is just sort of miles above everyone else. Um, I don't want to count her out and sound like an asshole, but um Valentina's going to be really hard to beat. So, like, I think she gets past Maya, and I would love that, and I would love for her to then fight um, Shevchenko after that, but um, I'm I'm not confident in saying she would beat um, Shevchenko. If she did, though, dude, Philadelphia MMA would be on the fucking map. Are you kidding me? Great question, philadelphia Myrrh. Okay. Dude, Smokey J is the man, and he was missed from last episode, so he brought the fucking heat. He brought the fucking bong rips. You'll see.
2: <laughs> Hashtag bad drawings. Hey there, Juice. Fighting with myself podcast. It's Smokey J here from Australia. Uh, the next big fight that sort of got my attention is fucking Khabib versus Dustin Poirier over in Abu Dhabi. And it's got me thinking like, Habib man, he's fucking 27 and 0. He is an absolute monster. But there's still people out there that are like, oh, he, he's got a padded record. When he fought kind of had a broken foot. But it's like, man, what is it going to take for this dude to get the recognition and respect that he deserves and he has
0: earned? Bye. Dude, we got to get this guy on a fucking radio show. Someone call up the boys from Submission Radio in Australia. I don't know how close they are to Victoria. Uh, we got to make that happen. Dude, Smokey J here. I fucking love it. I can't get enough. My first favorite thing about Smokey J, other than the bong rips, is the fucking bad drawings. Thank you for shouting that out. That's amazing. But second favorite dude, and this is not new uh, because this has happened before in this podcast. The way he pronounces habib (laughs) i can't get enough dude i am someone who is willing to give habib all the credit he deserves so i'm not going to say he has a padded record i i am willing to say dustin is the is the probably the biggest competition he's faced other than al um but that was on short notice so that's a little bit different which which certainly was you know to habib's disadvantage as well um but it was probably more of a disadvantage to Al um, so Dustin is probably his toughest competition if he if he gets past Dustin we should really be putting more respect on his name we should not be saying he fought Connor with a broken foot dude if you going back to the last caller or two callers ago um, freelance goon if you go to his Twitter he had a fucking thread and and I th- I've seen I've seen a couple people do this so I don't we really don't know I mean he's you know multiple people have pointed this out but there's a thing that says, my foot is broken, a thread. And it's all gifts of Conor using the shit out of the foot that he – not gifts like little video clips. Well, maybe some of them are gifts, but little clips of Conor using the shit out of the foot that he said was broken, like stomping it on the canvas when Bruce Buffer was announcing his name. I'm going to do the warm-up. Um, he even met – I mean, Conor doubled down on that in that aerial interview. He was like, my foot was A balloon. A balloon. Get out of here, Conor McGregor. Get the fuck out of here. Uh, my foot was broken. A thread. I love that. Um, no, absolutely not. The, the people that are, that are saying like he fought Conor on a broken foot. Tell me where that really impacted it in the fight. Uh, I don't know. Like Conor still won around on technically on scorecards, and that's fine. But Khabib dominated the shit out of him and finished him. Him uh, f- finished him. I'm, I'm an idiot. Finished him in the fourth round. Khabib is not overrated. He's not unbeatable, but he's not overrated. Padded record. Broken foot. Animals. Dude, if you ever see someone saying Khabib is a padded record because he fought Connor with a broken foot, tell them, oh, when did you get out of the insane asylum? Or um, where did you get your drugs from? Because I would like some. Dude, speaking of which, I was supposed to get a voice message from Blood on the Canvas podcast. That fucking southern motherfucker. He was supposed to be on shrooms. He was supposed to send me a fucking voice message. If you don't, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, guy from Blood on the Canvas, I believe it's John. If you are not on shrooms right now and not sending me a voice message, I, I don't. I don't know if, if we can talk anymore, dude. You got to do that. He was supposed to call into the podcast. He was supposed to be on shrooms and send it in. Anyway, I was kidding, by the way. Obviously, you know, shit happens. I forgive you. But I was very much looking forward to that. I was very much looking forward to that accent, dude. Oh, this is uh, my name from Blood on the Canvas podcast, and I'm on shrooms. Dude, I was looking forward to that so much. (laughs) Anyway, enough of me and that bad imitation. Let's go to uh, someone more important, which is again Smokey J.
2: <sighs> #baddrawings Hey there, Juice. Fighting with myself podcast. Smokey J here from Australia again. <laughs> <laughs> Now, it was announced the other day that fucking my man Dan Hooker is going to be fighting fucking Mother Man, El fucking Iaquinta in Melbourne in October, UFC 243, which is fucking pretty exciting. (laughs) Who wins it, man? How's it go down? Who takes it?
0: Bye. So ran out of time in there at the end. Who wins? Who takes it? Bye. Uh love the question. Love the matchup. Uh, I think I talked about this when it was rumored because I was like, dude, they're gonna make that fight. I, I was pretty confident. And um I mean things have fallen through, so maybe I shouldn't have, but in this case I was right, it looks like it's official. Uh I like Quinn for some reason loves Australia. I guess he went to Australia a couple times to do some seminars and he was like, dude, I should fucking move here. I should do like six months. First of all, how much do people from New Jersey and New York want to live in Florida half the year. We we'll call them fucking snowbirds. They're like, "Oh, let's go down to Florida like it's fucking down the street or something and they just like live there." L. I like Quinn had the right idea. Go to Australia instead where the fucking seasons are flip-flop because it's on the southern hemisphere and you can fucking live in a fucking more diverse country. Uh side note actually. Uh I think Dan Hooker takes it, man. I mean, the way he took the beating against Edson Barboza and then came back and decapitated James Vick. I mean, what's Aliquinta? Quinta? Ala Quinta? Sound like, like Habib. What is Al Iaquinta going to give uh, Dan Hooker that Barboza couldn't? Striking wise, yeah. I mean, wrestling, his wrestling is better than Barboza. But I don't think, like, Dan Hooker's got great jujitsu as well he said that even though he trains at city kickboxing and we see him as this like great striker he started as a grappler he's got a lot of submissions on his record as well that's why they call him the hangman so like when Gilbert Burns took him down who is like a world champion jiu-jitsu black belt Dan Hooker got him an anaconda which forced a scramble and got him to stand up Like Dan Hooker is a maniac and um, I see that being an amazing fight I see it probably going the distance um so I didn't want to sound like disrespectful to Al because I fucking love Al. It's just like he said, my man Dan Hooker, I'm my other man Quinta. Why do I keep saying Quinta? I'm a fucking idiot. Iaquinta. I'm excited for this fight a lot. I would not be surprised if Al wins, and I'm, I, so I don't want to sound disrespectful, but um, I see that being like a just a, just a dog fight because even um, Dan Hooker said this in an interview, um, you know, after. Um, His uh, fight with James Vick, he said, I knew I was coming to his backyard, you know, in Texas. I knew I had to get him out of there. I knew I had to bring the heat because if anyone shows up to New Zealand and fights me, they're going to have to bring a gun. Dude, that shit was like chilling. And although it's not his backyard, it's Australia and he's from New Zealand. um, The fact that it's their sort of home turf, same, you know, continent, essentially. I think he's going to like not want to lose. And Al knows that for sure. It's going to be such a good fight. That is another one I'm looking forward to. I, dude, I, even though the fact that it's on the Australian card adds another level, I almost wish it was on the Abu Dhabi card, or at least that that card was happening in Australia, so we could fucking get all those back-to-back. Dude, Barboza, Felder, Iaquinta, Hooker, and then be Poirier, like a little lightweight tournament. Oh, my God, I'm fucking coming right now. Why do you guys listen to this podcast? I <laughs> talk about coming all the time. Maybe that's why you like it. Maybe you guys are freaks, which I'm into, by the way. By the way, if you're a freak, I mean, maybe don't hit me up, but just know that I appreciate you. And I appreciate the fuck out of Smokey J. That's why I'm playing all of his questions, because he sent another one in.
2: Hey there, Juice. Fight with Myself podcast. Smokey J here from Australia. No real mixed martial arts questions this time. Just sort of hanging out and just fucking, how you doing, Juice? What's been going on, man? Things good?
0: Yeah, things are good, Smokey J. Thanks for asking. About to go on my honeymoon. How about you?
2: Bit of a shout out to the regular listeners. The Fun With Myself podcast. How are you fucking legends doing? What's going on? You having a good time?
0: Bong rips on his questions. I feel like I'm getting like a contact high through the interwebs. Uh, man, ha, ha, third favorite thing about Smokey J, how he calls regular people legends, like hell, you fucking legends on Twitter. I love it. I can't get enough, dude. Uh, so that's really, like you said, not a question. By the way, if you're wondering why he gave an intro on everyone, like this is Smokey J, instead of just like keep going, he was like, oh, you don't have to use them all. And I was like, dude, I'm, lo- I'm using them all. Are you kidding me? Um, to make up for the lack of Smokey J on those, uh, previous episodes. And thanks for shouting at other people that I love when that happens. This forum is about connecting people. It's about building a community and, uh, I don't know, promoting positivity. So Smokey J is literally one of the most positive people on Twitter. He's muted the word negativity symbolically, like can't get enough of that guy. Can't get enough. But thanks for all those voice questions. Keep sending them in. Um, I mentioned, you know, I tweet out the link often for the, um, uh, for the, to leave a voice message on Anchor, but it's always available. I mean, it's so easy to go on Anchor and just search fighting with myself as well. And the message option is right there. But again, I tweet out the link often. However, you can do what uh, my man Raging Sweepchadow did, um, Anchor, uh, uh Imposter has done in the past. Record it on your own and email it to me if you don't want the one minute time limit, um. That's always an option, but let's wrap things up and uh, get to these Twitter questions, huh? This uh, first question comes from Joe Blogs at Joe Blogs with two G's seventy four. Says, "Have you seen a replay of the Masvidal versus Askren lately? Which, if you're not on Twitter," We see that everywhere, every fucking turn. And I have the UFC Unwrapped account muted because, first of all, you guys share it all the fucking time. Second of all, uh, they're, like, ripping off other people, uh, which I have a problem with. So I haven't seen it as much as everyone else, but I have fucking seen it a lot. I've also got no problem with it because that's a sick-ass knockout. But I did say, like, someone, like, said that, you know... People should not have a problem with it and they should want to see it on loop every day. And I was like, yeah, it's awesome. And I'm a massive fan of Masvidal, but I am also a fan of Ascarin and him going into full lockup with nervous uh, central nervous system blocking up uh, after the knee makes me cringe. And I have to turn off. Like, I love the setup. I love the hands behind the back. It's fucking gangster. The leap, everything is perfect. But I'll turn it off right before the knockout because I I can only see it so many times. And we covered this um, based on uh, um, uh, Punk Rock Dad's question, but he says, is Bader the best heavyweight on the planet or is Scott Coker a liar? I would say neither because he's not the best heavyweight on the planet and Scott Coker is not a liar. He's just a good promoter. Um, there's a case to be made that Scott Coker is a better promoter than Dana White. There's a pretty strong case for that, actually. Although Dana White's a better marketer because he gets people talking and uh, he gets people angry at him, whereas Scott Coker is like the good guy. Uh, but, uh, you know, Scott's doing his thing. And then this gentleman also says Do you want to watch Brock versus Jones or Brock versus Nganu? I. Would rather see Brock versus Jones, but I also like I hate the fact that Jones is like I won't go up to heavyweight, but he would fight Brock Lesnar because Brock Lesnar is like not as good and he's like old. Uh, what a what a bully, huh? Zero tolerance for bullies. Zero tolerance for I mean not zero tolerance, but not a lot of tolerance for John Jones. Um, although I do like when people dude if you if you're um, uh, someone on Twitter that's like. Uh, I'm a fan of John Jones, but I'm also a fan of DC. I fucks with you. I fucks with you because you do not let your love for John Jones turn to hatred for DC. Um, however, <laughs> I'm willing to admit that part of my hatred is from for John Jones is because of my love for DC, but it's also other shit. Uh, but again, I am willing to admit he's probably the best fighter currently, so that's fine. I'll, I'll only say that um, when I have to. Brock versus Ngannou is interesting to me for only one reason. And that's the fact that Brock has like openly said, like he doesn't like getting hit in the face. You can see it in his fights as well. Um, he's, And he said that like in training um, and sparring, like if you hit him in the face, like it's fucking done. Like he brings in Pat Berry all the time because he trusts him. And Pat Berry like is a good striker. Um, But when they're sparring and Pat hits him in the face, he's like, nope, nope. Like apparently he's only allowed to like faint and hit him to the body, I guess. Or just be like another body for Brock to take down. But Brock, despite being like a professional wrestler, he's also like a credentialed amateur wrestler from his college days. And uh, Ngannou's strong as shit, so he can probably stop some of those takedowns. But there's nothing like... Brock's going to keep doing that. So if if he can dodge those shots from Ngannou, I think he can make that somewhat of an interesting fight. Uh, But you know, conventional wisdom also says that Ngannou K.O.'s the shit out of him, so. Brock Foy's jones to me, is more interesting because that's sort of like a, a freak show, like, circus fight. I want them to do all the steroids. I want them to book that, you know, in, like, China somewhere uh, where there's no commission and just, like, uh, I don't know, terminate the use out of contracts. That's what I want. You can call me a hypocrite for that, by the way. I got a no problem with that. I, I admit it. This next question is from please unblock me, Tony Ferguson at JTX186 Davis. Um, this person is one of my turning into one of my favorite follows um on MMA, MMA Twitter. Because uh, first of all, Tony Ferguson um uh, is almost like Megan Anderson with when it comes to blocks, like kind of for no reason. And um, like I'm honestly surprised that I'm not blocked by tony at this point even though i literally say he deserves a title shot every chance i get i'm surprised he doesn't see that and be like well i don't need that uh positivity in my life Uh, block like so crazy we love you tony stop being crazy um it says (laughs) if you could grab a fighter who is now retired from their prime and place him into the modern day fight game who would it be and why and someone responded to that that said um He's not retired, but should be. But Prime Fader would show people just how bad the current heavyweight division is. I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I also um, uh, believe in the conspiracy that Pride referees had earpieces and um, that some of those fights were fixed. I uh, believe the conspiracy. Let's be real. Or let's not be real, whatever. I'm not sure what the proper terminology for that is. But my answer would be Boss Rutten. Um, I think like he was one of the first people to mix up the styles and learn the ground game with his striking he was probably the best striker of his era and uh also probably one of the most athletic heavyweights ever he wasn't more than like 220 um he could have even been around like 210 which interestingly enough is what deontay wilder um weighs and he's the fucking heavyweight champion in boxing which obviously is different than mma and boxing sucks so we're not going to talk about boxing but um Boss Root and I always had respect for it because of, of his willingness to like fight the bigger guys and not cut weight. Um, although he did, like towards the end of his career, want to drop down to 205 um, when they were just sort of creating that division, um, when that was really the only two divisions, I believe. And uh, then he had his neck injury, and that sort of forced the retirement. But I always wondered how he would do. I always wondered how he would do in the other weight class. Then he would really be in the conversation for pound for pound so if boss in his prime could come back with his fucking fight iq like he's still one of the best analysts in the game in my opinion um so his uh not give a fuck attitude and his fight iq with his uh, grappling skills mixed with the um supreme striking i think that would be incredible how about prime boss Rude versus johnny walker dude are you kidding me talk about fantasy matchups Anyway, I'm I'm getting off tangent here, but that was a great question, and I loved it. Um, MMA dude making another um, debut on the not debut, but a return to the podcast says, is Zhang versus Andrade the hardest title fight to predict in UFC history? For the sake of the question, we'll say starting with the Zufa era. If you don't think it is, which title fight was harder to predict? That's actually a good caveat, by the way, because if if we're to say all of it, you know, there's no like. I'm not going to sit here and say like, oh, fucking uh, Mark Coleman versus Maury Smith. I'm not going to take anything from those like debuts. We got to go to the Zufa era because that's when you start to build contenders and and talk about, you know, things like that. It is very hard to predict. It might be the hardest. But I'll offer you another one. I've been thinking about that. And this also um, was um, offered up in the replies by um, Joshua Rittenhouse. It says maybe GSP versus Bisping. And I think that has some weight to it in terms of the conversation because GSP was coming off like a four-year layoff or like three and a half. It was a long-ass time. And it had so many questions surrounding it. Like whether or not you think like Bisping was an overrated champion or he was washed up or, um, you know, and, and then you also think like GSP is the greatest of all time. He also never competed at that weight class either. There was so many questions surrounding that. Like it was pretty much as he said, like no one knew what to expect. So I don't think people were as on the fence as they probably are with this one. So hard to predict. Like, like for me as a Bisping fan, I was like thinking, like, yeah, there's so many questions, but I still was like, I gotta go with Bisping. And I'm, I'm sure there's a ton of like Canadians and GSP fans are like, oh, I gotta go with GSP. But you got to acknowledge the fact that it was really hard to predict because of those reasons because of the layoff because of the weight class discrepancy so many questions so this is a this is a hard question to predict because no one knows a fucking thing about Wei Lijung uh, other than her uh really great wins in the UFC that we so much we've seen like just a glimmer and uh to be honest I still think not enough people know um or people don't know enough about andraj um and it's interesting because Like, Andrade, and we'll get to this in the breakdown, Andrade was getting pieced up by Rose in the first round. And the the first half of the second round as well. Um, By the way, I also think the Rose hate is one of the worst things on MMA Twitter. How could you fucking hate Rose? Are you an animal? Like, what? But anyway, Andrade also looked, like, clueless against Ioana Jonjevic. And Li Zhang... Um, doesn't have the same style as Joanna, but they're both slick strikers. And she's also a little bigger like in terms of height and and stuff, maybe reach as well, than uh, Andrade. And so I think that it just makes such an interesting matchup. And it is a coin flip. So you're probably right. Zhang versus Andrade is the hardest title fight to predict in the UFC history. Which is very weird. And that's to be honest, like I was, I sort of pushed back on this. A lot of people did. We, we, we all kind of thought Michelle Waterson was going to be next, or maybe Tatiana Suarez. But, like that aside, I want title fights with intrigue. And this has, quite frankly, a lot of intrigue. So, for that reason, it's not uh, it's not the worst thing in the world. This next question is awesome from Shax um, 7 it says we don't have this pay-per-view model for the most part or I fucked that up. We don't have the pay-per-view model for the most popular sports in the world like football and soccer and cricket, etc. Now, with MMA going more mainstream, do you think pay-per-views will be no more in the future or will it always be a part of combat sports when big names are involved? This is a good question. Now, I would predict that pay-per-view doesn't go away for a long time. But throughout the course of this seven-year ESPN deal, or I I think now it's maybe a nine-year deal, I think they had an extension, they got the exclusivity with ESPN Plus, and we already know they have a minimum of, uh, like a guarantee of like 500,000 buys as far as payout goes. So that's pretty much locked in. And I and I think the data, it really depends on the data over the next nine years, what they're going to do. Now, when you say it's becoming more mainstream, boxing is also pretty mainstream and has been around for, you know, the better part of the century and, or at least half a century. And that's been on pay-per-view for quite a while, as far as I know. I mean, I'm a youngin', so I can't speak to back in the day. But, you know, as far as I know, like big boxing fights of pay-per-view have always been a thing. And as long as people are going to shell out for those stars as long as at least like one pay per year does a million buys i don't see it going away for a long time now i would like to see something like i said earlier where they let us pick and choose certain fights that certainly could drive more buys i think you know, in terms of revenue because you are going to have the hardcores that are just going to buy the whole card but then you might have some casuals that say oh i just want to buy the main event and you're gonna get some extra buys that you may not have gotten so i think that's interesting uh but also something like what Bellator is doing with the zone where it's basically like, you know, and I think people in the UK had, it had it with BT sport up until recently, up until I think, what is it? 239 or 236 where you guys had like be paid 20 bucks a month or whatever Euro or whatever the fuck. And then (laughs) I'm so disrespectful. I apologize. Um, and and then you just kind of keep getting them. I would, I would rather that, you know, if you have uh, like, you know, free fights on ESPN, And you have to pay, like, your cable bill or whatever. And then 20 bucks a month and get all the pay-per-views. Dude, I'm in. I'm in. You would get tons of subscribers. People are going to streaming anyway. Like, that's very clear. If you follow anything else that's happening in, uh, like, the entertainment industry. Streaming is where it's at. Like, the fucking, you know, basic TV. and uh, Like, that shit is dead in the next, like, 10 years. So... I would say we have to circle back to this question in 10 years, Shaq. Let's see. All right, this is another question I'm, I'm glad to be getting to. This is from Joe Quigley at Joe Quigley MMA. Um says, does the pound-for-pound pound list have any bearing or is it just for show? I think it's kind of pointless, but I wanted your point of view on it. There's another question about the pound-for-pound uh, pound list. I don't know if I want to uh, lump them in because they are slightly different, so I think I want to answer separately. But here are my thoughts on the pound-for-pound pound list. It is nothing but barbershop talk. It's honestly kind of a joke that the UFC has it on their official rankings. And it's a joke that it causes so much like pushback uh, online. And the fact that John Jones is tweeting about the pound for pound list and can we stop playing games with it? And like, who gives a fuck? There's no pound for pound contest. There's no pound for pound belt. Uh, that's why my opinion on the pound-for-pound pound, uh, debate is different than a lot of people. First of all, it's subjective. The very definition is subjective. So it is just for show. The fact that Connor's still on it and that people get mad at that, I mean, is relevant, but it's also meaningless. Like, he's only on there for discussion to keep his name in the... Talking points. If we ignore it, it goes away. Those are my thoughts, anyway, dude. pound panelist. Not my. Not even on my radar. Although I did like debating with uh, Kenneth Robert about the fucking pound panelist. That that was uh, that was uh, a debate I got. I I was very engaged in, for some reason. All right, this next question is from Pete Bagels, and God bless him. He sent in a voicemail, but the connection was so bad. Apparently, according to him, he lives in the jungle. Um, I heard it was, like, staticky. It was, like, oh, juice. What's going on, brother? And then the rest of it was garbled. But I could tell it was about heavyweights, and then luckily he submitted, like, the same question here. So it said, how bad is the heavyweight division if DC leaves? You got one trick pony Francis and Steepy left. Everybody everybody besides Stipe can't hold the belt, in my opinion. And if somebody else gets the strap, it can be for only one fight. What do you think, brother? First of all, the fact that Stipe holds the record for title defenses in uh, the heavyweight division and that it's only three tells you all you need to know about heavyweight MMA in general. And the fact that the record before him was two and that it was that way for a long time, like Randy and Kane, I think, were like tied— Tells you everything you need to know. You're right that anyone that could potentially hold the belt after Stipe would only be for one fight, but that that's not an indictment on on their talent or anything. That's really just the fact that heavyweight MMA is about knockouts and um, you know knock them out, drag them down fights. Like DC Stipe was as technical a heavyweight fight as we're ever going to get, you know, in the next five years probably, unless um, Alexander Volkov fights for a belt. Maybe against uh, Alistair Overeem. But even Overeem sometimes doesn't give a fuck. Like, this is this, this is heavyweight. This is what it does. Like, people want to see knockouts, and they know that one shot can change everything, and they're just going to th- throw down. So I'm not going to sit here and break down the rankings. The rankings are bullshit anyway. And I get your point. It's a very good point. But I don't think it's like... Like, in many ways, the, the heavyweight division is better than it has been in um, recent years. You know... Of course, with DC retire. I mean, if DC retires, that's a different story. But you know, the storylines are more interesting than they have been, especially once Verdum comes back. If he comes back, maybe after the two-year U.S.A. suspension, maybe he's like, oh, "I'm too fucking old," or maybe he like goes to Bellator uh, to clean that up. By the way, Verdum versus Bader, he's gonna choke him out. Absolutely. All right. Next question is from David Everett. It's at Pulp Fiction Buff. He says, Twice, Costa invited Yoel to come and fight him while his own back was against the cage. Why on earth didn't Yoel do it? I know some fighters are good at it, but you have a big advantage if your opponent can't retreat or draw back their arms and legs very far for striking, right? I honestly... Here's the thing. like Yoel didn't have the best game plan but it was enough for you know half of the people on twitter to think he won the fight but I also think like yoel kind of doesn't give a fuck sometimes and uh i think he was w- he was waiting to like draw him into like you know i, I honestly don't know like it's such a good question that I- that it's hard to answer because we don't really know what was going through yoel's mind we don't know and uh Yoel, I I think he was just sort of, usually he finds himself in the position where he's back against the cage, and he didn't know what to do with it. He's like, why are you on the cage? We got to switch. What the fuck? Honestly, probably just threw him. You know, people aren't, you know, it's very hard to make an adjustment on the fly. So little things like that. Like the fact that he pointed away and then caught him with a cross is one of my favorite things I've ever seen in a fight. And it, what's funny is like Costa was bitching about it, but it didn't look like he, I mean, he looked with his eyes and then, but as far as I see, he didn't turn his head. It didn't look like it affected him, but he still got caught with a shot and he was bitching about it. And I don't know. Costa, eh, no me interesa, Paulo Costa, no me interesa. Interesting uh, question though. All right. This is another, this is another question from Shacks. Um, he says, "One more question. I am Team Habib, but don't you think Poirier would be one of Habib's toughest opponents? To write him off would be silly, I guess. I think Dustin has been knocked out only twice in his career, and people make a big deal out of it. You are absolutely right, and um, yes, he has been knocked out, but it's it's not been by bums. Like Michael Johnson hasn't had the best record lately." But he's also given losses to, like, Tony Ferguson and some good fighters. So to say that him getting knocked out by Michael Johnson is, like, the worst thing in the world, I think he also maybe came in a little cocky, and that was sort of not his best performance. But since then, he looks like he's, like, cleaned up those holes in his game. And his fight with Max Holloway was just one of the best fights of 2019. Like, to say anything otherwise is just silly. I like Dustin's chances in this fight. I do. Um is a heavy favorite for good reason, but I like Dustin's chances, and he's absolutely um, Habib's tough, toughest opponent. Um, I think uh, Dustin has can, can beat all the guys that Habib has beaten. Um, I think Poirier can beat Barboza. I think he can beat uh, Quinta. and not like easily. I'm not saying he walks through those guys, but I think he has the skills to pull it off. So, absolutely, this is his toughest fight. And actually, to kind of segue off of that, this question from Mike at Dirty Diapers 77 says, is Dustin going to shock the world? Oh, no, it's not a question. It's a statement. He says, Dustin is going to shock the world. He will defend the takedown and knock him out. Love the confidence. Uh, I don't know about all that, but I am leaning your way, which we'll get to next week. Uh, that's a little sort of teaser. Feel free to call me an uh, uh, idiot if you if you want. I really don't give a fuck. Now this is the this is the question of the uh, pound for pound rankings, dude. This is from MMA by Milliken. By the way, another great follow. But actually, looks like I'm. Um, almost out of time. So we're going to have to just take a quick break and then come back. Okay. MMA by Milliken at MMA by Milliken says, what should pound for pound rankings actually be based on in your opinion? Now, this is something that I wanted to talk about with the question from Joe Quigley, but, um, I figured it we kind of should be addressed separately. It goes back to my, what I said, that the point is that it's all subjective. Not only is the criteria sub, uh, sub, sub subjective, the um, who you select is subjective, and the definition is selective. There are people that think it should be based on having actual success at multiple weight classes. And I kind of agree, but I don't think that's all it is. I don't think that's, you know, a hard and fast rule. Um, and then there's a lot of other people that, that think it's how will, will will your skills hypothetically translate uh, across multiple weight classes. And that's more or less what I think. But what people are saying, see, here's the problem. And again, it's all subjective. So this is just my opinion. And it's all just like, just fucking barbershop talk. When people hear, when people that are on the other side, when people hear the second definition of saying, oh, how will your skills hypothetically translate? You know, it's like, what about people that are actually doing it? Here's the thing. There are such, there's such a huge gap across those other weight classes that not everyone can just move up or move down to prove their success. And there are like, you know, multiple factors. Like a guy like Anthony Pettis can destroy himself to to make Featherweight and get demolished by Max Holloway, but then can also not destroy himself and knock out Wonderboy. Like, these things are all a factor. Like, you can't – I think you can't base it on just one of them. It has to kind of be everything. So, yeah, like, for me, I think the pound-for-pound debate should be created or is kind of created for – the lighter weight classes, because when you talk about 170 and above, 185 and above, they can really sort of fight each other and figure it out. Like, especially heavyweight and 205, and especially Walter weight and uh, middleweight. Like the fact that we never got Anderson Silva versus GSP is a travesty, um, you know. And I think it's more along the lines of like when I think about the pound for pound debate, I think about what if Mighty Mouse was 205 pounds with an 84 inch reach. Another reason, in other words, if you blew him up and put him in against John Jones, who would win? That's kind of what I think it should be about. And it's, but it's all for fun. And people get so bent out of shape about it. People are like, Mighty Mouse, pound for pound, who has he beat? It's like the skills are the, in my opinion, the biggest determining factor. And yes, success has to matter, but, uh, success across multiple weight classes you know getting a belt you know the fact that only a small amount of people have been able to do that says something to me in terms of like success so i think pound for pound uh, debates are somewhat dumb they're kind of fun but people get so bent out of shape about it and um Again, the fact that it's in the UFC official rankings is an absolute joke. I mean, it's a joke. So, yeah, I guess those are my final thoughts on it. What what should it be based on? It should be based on fun. It should be based on, you know, if we're really talking about it, it's, it's like, you know, fantasy matchups and, and who would beat who if they were the same weight. That's kind of what I think it, it is. Because it's all, it's all just whatever. Like, if if... People are close enough in weight to fight, then there sh- there wouldn't even be a pound for pound uh, debate. That's my personal opinion. Feel free to disagree with me, Kenneth. I know you do. Love that guy, by the way, Kenneth Robert. Singular, not an S. Kenneth Robert, Mr. Underscore Tittlewings. Follow him because he's amazing. And follow Pete Bagels. And follow Emily uh, uh, Milliken. And follow me fwm underscore pod all right that's that's it for the forum um this is a good one i was glad that we were able to squeeze this one in you guys you came with some amazing questions and that's what this podcast is about babies but without further ado let's get into the the breakdown of next week I'm gonna give you guys my picks and i talked about this last episode um in the past i've kind of like been a little bit on the fence sort of uh or or just like a little bit cagey in the way I give my picks because um I'm not some fucking analyst or whatever I'm not uh anyone who is uh like should should be giving betting advice but I do like to engage in, uh, you know, Twitter conversation, and I do like to, uh, you know, engage with listeners of my podcast. And uh, when someone is like so sure about someone winning and that person loses, I just think it's funny. And I like to grill them. So, but I can't. The fact that I have a platform to give my picks and I don't is, uh, I've, I failed you basically is what I'm saying. So I will be giving picks from now on, especially on the Verdict app because I think that's cool and they're doing exactly, exactly. Dude, I'm on drugs today. They're doing exactly what I want to do, which is build a community of MMA fans. So, um, That said, we're going to give some picks um, here. And the main card for UFC, um, Shenzhen, is not as bad as I thought, uh, not as bad as people are saying. It is a little weird, but uh, it's probably better than the um, Argentina card, or sorry, Argentina, the Uruguay card, um, aside from Luke Perry. However, opening up the main card, we got Yanan Wu, and uh Mizuki Inoue now here's how I am doing this and this is like and by the way I want to say first also like my there's a lot of people that give their picks and they say like you know I pick with my brain and not my heart and that's fine and and I support you and I love all those people that say that all those people that say that especially people that have a podcast and are willing to put their thoughts into the airwaves and say that I love you and i support you and i want to um have your babies not really however people that say that on twitter who are just like just fucking online and they just say that like well i you know i always pick with my brain like for me being a fight fan is about picking with your heart it's about putting your cards on the table behind uh people that you are mo- that you most identify with and that you most uh, want to see succeed despite um whatever uh, shortcomings they may or may not have or despite any adversity they, they may face in their personal life. Like, dude, I, I never want to see Ray Borg lose, even though um his fighting style isn't like whatever. He, him going through what he had with his uh, kid, dude, I always want to see that guy win. And he used to annoy the shit out of me, dude. He used to annoy the shit out of me. But with the things that he's been through with his family make it so that I never want to see him lose. And that's, to me, what, what being a fight fan should be about. If you're a fucking football fan, and you're talking about your team being like, well, well we just signed uh, this guy. He was a first-round draft picker. We have good defense. Dude, fuck that. And I don't mean, like, fuck everyone who says that, but just fuck that sort of mentality crossing over into MMA. Like, people that say, like, oh, he's, you know, good in the clinch and, and this sort of thing. Like, that's not what I'm about, dude. So my picks are going to be based on, like, Who's got the best ass? Or who's got the best dick? Or whatever. Um, I'm sounding like a crazy person, but I am a crazy person. That said, we're gonna get into the reason why I'm picking, why I'm picking for this fight card. Yanan Wu versus Mizuki Inoue. And it's not based on like anything physical, it's not. When I saw Inoue, I was like, oh, is she related to Ensign Inoue? And as far as I can find out, she's not. So if that were the case, I would have picked her based on lineage, which sounds crazy. But then I also was like looking at their records, and you know Yanan Wu um, has fought it's a little bit tougher competition. This is, I believe, at flyweight, um, and so she's fought um, Gina Mazzani and uh, some other people at bantamweight, which she's lost to. But she does have wins inside the UFC, and I think that will benefit her over Mizuki Inoue, who is usually a strawweight, by the way. So this is just an interesting fight to me. For that reason, I'm going to go with uh, Yanan. Uh, I think she'll probably get it done. But again, I could be very fucking wrong. If anyone uh, chooses to bet on these fights, uh, like, actual, like, monetarily, and you are mad because you went with my picks, sorry, uh, my picks are terrible. And I'm willing to admit that. But I'm also willing to be wrong Because I love being wrong, I love when new wrinkles in the fight get added that we didn't see before. So I have no problem being wrong here. Yanan Wu is going to beat Mizuki in a way. That's what I think. And I'm probably going to be wrong, but fuck it. And fuck you if you want me to be right all the time. Now, the next fight is Mike Grundy versus uh, Movsar Evloev. And that's probably not the best pronunciation, but it's probably better than Uh, Another pronunciation you're going to hear, aside from if you're actually Russian. Dude, Mike Grundy is someone I love. He was on, I believe, the Olympic um, wrestling team uh, for England, or at least on that path. And he's uh, he's shown his wrestling in his fights is very good. But he also uh, has shown good stand-up, in my opinion. Um, His UFC debut was a testament to that. And uh, I like his chances in this fight. At least I like I like him. I'm willing to admit that it, that part of that is also I know nothing about the Russian dude. But I also like Mike Grundy. So um, if I like you, I like your the cut of your jib, Mike Grundy. I want you to win, and I'm gonna pick Mike Grundy. Another person I like a lot is Kai Kara France, and I like Mark, I like his opponent too, Mark De La Rosa. This is a this is a flyweight fight. We're going a little fast. I'm going to recap at the end. Don't worry. Um, Kai Car France has taken on Mark De La Rosa. Uh, Mark is one half of the only couple in the UFC, as far as I know, as far as husband and wife couple. Um, Mark De La Rosa and Montana De La Rosa, formerly Montana Stewart. Uh, Mark De La Rosa is good, um, but Kai Car France is better, in my opinion. I think Kai, like for a flyweight, has some heavy ass hands. And the fact that he trains out of, like, city kickboxing with those guys, I love it. I love his style. Um, I would love to see him fighting for a belt within the next, you know, year or so if he can rack up enough wins. Um, I love that guy. And so, for that reason, we're going with Kaikara France. Now, the Komen event. Eliseo Zaleski dos Santos taking on Lee Jingliang. Is Li Jingliang a good fighter? Yes. Is he a dirty fighter? Yes. If you didn't see his fight with Jake Matthews, Jake had him in a guillotine. It was pretty deep. And this leech motherfucker is eye-gouging him. And whatever fucking incompetent ref was there, I don't even remember... They did not take any points. They did not give a fucking warning. They just let that shit happen. And it goes to show you cheating gets rewarded. I believe they got fight of the night, which was so terrible in my opinion. So for that reason, even if he could beat him, I'm going to pick Eliseo. Now, I do think Eliseo is going to win also because of his fucking uh, slick jujitsu and his insane capoeira. I love that. I believe it's also his nickname uh elizeu zaleski is a must-see fighter in my opinion um, he puts on amazing fights anytime he fights and the fact that he like can't get a tough-ten opponent i think is indicative of the fact that he hasn't really shown his personality personality matters in the fight game man it does you cannot be one of those guys that's just like oh i'm out there winning or whatever i'm i'm fucking putting on whatever performance is dude you got to get people excited and he has exciting fights so if you can let his personality shine even just a little bit i think he's going to be a star so I got Eliseu Zaleski Dos Santos. All right, the main event. We talked about this earlier with um, the MMA dude. He said this is, the, this is probably the, the hardest title fight to predict in UFC history, and he's damn right. Or at least it's up there, anyway. Definitely top five. Da- probably top three. Now, I like it for the intrigue. And I said before, I don't give a fuck about being wrong. So it's very easy to pick Jessica Andrage. Because she had an amazing fight with Claudia. And she has beaten the fuck out of a lot of girls. And she slammed Rose on her head. However, Wei Li Zhang, or Zhang Wei Li, I'm not sure the order, is a beast. And the way she fucking fights, like like you have to basically kill her to to get her out of there I got I got Wei Li especially now now people are saying like the home court advantage like oh if it goes to the judges like what's interesting about that I don't think Chinese Chinese crowds are like super like what I think influences hometown decisions is not the judges cuz usually the judges are flown in or they're picked in a certain way that it's you know, by, you know, not biased, you know, people like to reference, uh, you know, Matt Hamill versus Michael Bisping. I heard Ben on the fight. talking about this. The judge that gave it to Matt Hamill was English, was British. So it's not the judge. It's the crowd. It's the reactions from the crowd and people like blowing up certain things out of proportion, making like glancing shots seem like bombs or whatever. So I don't see the hometown being a factor. If they read like like Bruce Buffer always uh, reads the judges for the main event. If they read it and, and I can't fucking pronounce the names, I'm like, oh boy, here we go. That's a potential, but I don't think so. I think Whaley can shock the world here. But although is it shocking? We just said it's the hardest title fight to predict, or at least I did anyway, and filled it. But I think her beating Jessica would not be that big of an upset, but it certainly would be interesting. Like Jessica winning, to me, is not that interesting. Um, it certainly sets up a potential Rose rematch if Rose decides to keep fighting. Um, it definitely set, sets up a Yoana rematch if Joanna can get past the Karate Hottie. But um, I personally, like Wei Li, called out Joanna um, before the um, title fight was announced and obviously before the Washington fight was announced. Like, I would love to see Ioana Violence versus Li Zhang. I'm not interested in seeing Andrade, too. I mean, yes, it's a good path for the belt, and Ioana as a champion is probably good for marketing for the UFC, but um, I would love to see Li Zhang versus um, Ioana Jacek And that for that reason, I'm picking Li Zhang. I am. I don't give a fuck. And you'll see how much I don't give a fuck next week when I give my picks. Speaking of that, actually, I have decided that um, I need a little bit of motivation in terms of sticking with this, uh, you know, giving my picks uh, in a concrete way. And so I would like to have some sort of a competition with another podcast. Now, here's the problem, dude. A lot of podcasts, A pick the whole card, top to bottom, and I only do the main card. And B, a lot of them are co-hosted. And so is it fair to me for me to go up against two people? Because they could have all tiny picks, and I'm like, well, one of them is right. Like, that just doesn't seem fucking, like, right. And, like, the mathematics are fucking off. So um, if you are a solo podcast out there, MMA podcast listening, and you would like to go head-to-head with me on picks, I already got someone for next week, as long as we can um, confirm that. But uh, I don't know if it's going to be a for sure thing. And so for that reason, I would like to collaborate with somebody. I'll put it out there. Law of Attraction, hit me up. And uh, let's get it going. So just to recap, I got Yanan Wu beating Miz- Mizuki Inoue. I've got Mike Grundy beating Mofsar Evloev. And I've got Kaikara France beating Mark De La Rosa. I've got Eliseu Zaleski dos Santos beating The Leech Li Jingliang and I've got Wei Li Zhang beating Jessica Andrade. That's my picks, dude. I'm sticking to it. This has been a great episode despite um the casual interruptions we had. Um thank you guys for tuning in. It's a little bit of a bonus and uh by the time you're listening to this, I'll be on a fucking plane in Mexico with my wife.
1: We're going on a honeymoon. We're
0: going, We're going on, on a honeymoon. honeymoon. All right, that's uh, my wife making her FWM debut. Um, sup you... bitches. She just said sup bitches. Uh, love you, babe, and I love you if you're listening to this. Um, follow me on Twitter. Yeah, she's gonna say one more thing.
2: He really does appreciate all of you, and um, while I might be in a relationship with Twitter and my husband. We definitely appreciate all of the support that you give him. Um, you know, just keep pushing it because he's very dedicated and I love him for that. But now I'm going to steal him for a week. Yes. So deal with it.
0: And I will say this also. She reads the fucking tweets.
2: I know. Stop talking about me fucking <laughs> other dudes and shit. Like, I will come on there and defend myself and make some balls balls make some y jokes and you're gonna have to deal with that because you're talking about me sucking other people's dicks i'm gonna comment
0: (laughs) know that she's always lurking just (laughs) like she never likes any tweets so if she doesn't like the tweet doesn't mean she didn't see it so just know that
2: i'm a creep baby
0: all right that was a great end to the podcast that i did not expect she just walked into the end so uh thank you everybody and uh again follow me on uh social media Twitter and Instagram, FWM underscore pod. Um, keep the reviews coming in. If you're listening on Apple podcasts, it's pretty easy to leave a five-star review. You just got to click the five, just do that. It's going to help me. It's going to help you feel good about yourself. I got an amazing review by the way, um, from, uh, Cole BDC Henry. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I should have called that. that's what Pat calls him, um, which I uh, was just so honored to have posted on my Instagram because, uh, uh, Twitter would get weird about that shit but I also got a great review from Cyrus and uh, a buddy from MMA Marks and the Filthy Frankster got a lot of great reviews um, over the past uh, few months so you guys are the best um, I'm just so humbled by it every every day every time I record I get emotional at the end that, that people are taking the time out of their day to listen and support me it's really awesome so shout out to you if you're listening anyone listening with that I'm signing off here Gonna get you done and go to fucking Mexico. This is Juice with FWM. Good night and good fights.